Scripture reading this morning comes from Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. Paul writes, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with Him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will, no, will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. May God bless the reading of His Word. <clears throat> you know, as, as far as I can tell, up to this point in this letter, Paul hasn't given us a command. And we've gone through five chapters. And as far as I can tell, we have not run across one command. But what we have run across is a great explanation of our need for Christ, our need for the gospel. And he has spent a lot of ink uh, explaining and describing our sin nature that we have inherited from Adam. And he's also shared how, you know, through faith in Jesus, we are declared right with God because of the death and the resurrection of Christ. Now, if you've read the first five chapters of the book of Romans, and you have understood those five chapters, then you have a very comprehensive understanding of what makes a person right with God. You have a very comprehensive understanding of what it means to be a Christian. And as we move into chapter 6, we're going to encounter the first of Paul's commands to us. Things that he's going to tell us that we need to do. And these commands speak to what our response ought to be to the saving grace of God. And the commands come as Paul answers a question that he anticipates his readers asking. Because at the end of chapter 5, you may remember Paul writing these words. He says in verse 20 of chapter 5, Now the law came in to increase the trespass. Now listen to what he says. But where sin increased... Grace abounded all the more. And Paul knew that this truth that where sin increases, 
grace abounds all the more. He knew this truth could be misunderstood. And that's why in chapter 6, verse 1, he starts by asking this question. He says this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, you know, if, our, if our sin gives God's grace the opportunity to be displayed and exercised, then should we continue on in sin so God's grace can be on display even more? Well, Paul answers his question. In the English Standard Version, he says, By no means. In the King James, he says, God forbid. It's translated in the New King James, Certainly not. And the New American Standard, May it never be. In other words, Okay, if, you, if you're asking that question, then you, you don't understand what we've been talking about for the past five chapters, right? And so he's going to help us understand, okay, well, in Christ, what is our relationship to sin then? And so listen to this. Uh, think of it like this. Paul, Paul is explaining the role of grace in our relationship to sin. And just think of it like this. Let's say your adult child makes a bad financial decision, okay? And you see his situation and you decide to help him. You, know, you have some money set aside and so you decide to take from that account to help him out, to help him get back on his feet. You know, you're helping your son is an act of love, it's an act of generosity, it's an act of grace, now, imagine your son thinking of your, and interpreting your action this way. Imagine him thinking, you know, it's interesting. Okay, I, I made a bad financial decision. And that gave my dad an opportunity to display his generosity. So, I guess what I should do is continue to make bad financial decisions. Because what that'll do is that'll give my dad more opportunities to show his generosity and grace. If that was your son, what would you tell him? <laughs> That's not how it works, son. That's not, it's not what we're trying to do here. You know, I'm helping you because I love you and I want you to make good decisions. And if you love me, then you would see I'm trying to enable you and you would take that enabling to actually pursue what is good and right. Right? And so Paul's saying, you know, if you think that by continuing in sin you're actually doing what's right and giving God's grace more opportunity to be displayed, you're misunderstanding the Christian's relationship to sin and what God wants for your life. So to clear up this misunderstanding, he goes on to explain what our relationship to sin is like now that we are in Christ. And to clear up this misunderstanding, he tells us that there are some things that we need to know and then there are some things that we need to do. First, he tells us what we need to know. And in verses 3 through 10, as you read through that, you'll notice that he uses the, uses the verb to know three times. The first time is found in verse 3. The second time is in verse 6. And the third time is in verse 9. And each time he uses this verb to know in this passage... He's calling us back to what is true of us in Christ. What happened to us when we placed our faith in Christ. For example, in verse 3, 
He actually calls us back to our baptism. Because baptism is a a wonderfully symbolic act that shows what takes place when a person comes to Christ by faith. You know, baptism, the act of water baptism, follows a profession of faith in Christ. So, when I stand back here in the water with someone who has placed their faith in Christ and they want to come forward and... uh, in, in, in an act of obedience and baptism. This is what I say. I'm standing with them in the baptistry in the water. And this is what I say. I say this person has stated that they have placed their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And then I say to this person, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism, and I put them under the water, all the way under. Now, why do I do that? Because what what we're doing in that symbolic act is we are showing that when you come to Christ, there is a death that you have you have died to your old self. There is a death that is taking place, that you are identifying with the death of Christ. So just as Christ took on sin on the cross, there's a crucifixion that takes place in your life when you come to faith in Christ. This old self is put to death. There is a crucifixion that has taken place. There is a death that happens. This means that your former life that was ruled by sin has been crucified. The power that sin once had in your life has now been put to death and you are no longer, what Paul says, you're no longer a slave to sin. So when you come to Christ by faith, there is a change that takes place in your soul, in how you relate to sin, and it's best described as death. There's a death that happens. Whereas before Christ... There was a deadness toward God. And now that you are in Christ, there is a deadness toward sin. And so what does it mean to be dead to sin? When you're in Christ, what does it mean to be dead to sin? Well, it doesn't mean that you are now unable to sin. Because you are unable. I mean, you are able now to still choose to sin. It doesn't mean that you will not be tempted to sin. Because you will be tempted. And it doesn't mean that you will not sin. Because you will sin. But to be dead to sin means that you are free from the power of sin. Not the presence of sin. But you are free from the power and the dominion of sin. Look at verses 6 and 7 again. Paul says, We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So what happens is that in Christ, you know, the, chains that, the chains that bound us to a life of sin have been broken. And now we are free to live for Christ. We are alive to God. We are free to live 
to Christ. And this is what it means to be crucified with Christ. This is why I put you all the way under the water. Because there is a death that takes place. There is a, a part of you that has died. That is no longer in play. Now, of course, I do bring you back up out of the water, right? We don't leave you under the water. That would be, that, I would be arrested. So, we, but we symbolize the death, but then we bring you, I bring you back up out of the water. Because coming out of the water symbolizes that not only was there a death, not only did you identify with the death of Christ, and the old self has died, has been crucified, but now coming up out of the water... Paul says, there's this newness of life. You walk in the newness of life. And that's what I say. I say, you know, I baptize you, my brother, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Just as Christ was raised from the dead, so we participate in this new life, this resurrection life. So we identify with His death and we identify with His life. To become a Christian... There must be a death and a rebirth. And that's symbolized in baptism. And this is accomplished by being united with Christ through His death and resurrection. Look again at verses 4 and 5. He says, We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. And so Paul is explaining our our new relationship to sin. And he's saying that this is what we need to know. We need to know what is true of us in Christ. That's what we need to know. And the second thing Paul tells us that we need in order to avoid this misunderstanding relating to our relationship with sin, is found in verse 11. He writes, So you also must consider. That's the command. You must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So the command here is to consider, which means uh, to reckon or to declare. It's, a, it's like an accounting term. And it goes beyond just simply knowing the gospel, knowing the truths of the gospel, knowing what happens when somebody places their faith in Christ. But to consider means seeing how that truth applies to you personally. That you need to consider this for yourself. You need to reckon this to yourself and see how it's true of you in Christ. So to consider means that you not only embrace the truth of the gospel intellectually, but you embrace it personally, internally. So in Christ, if you've placed your faith in Christ, then you are free from the power of sin, is what Paul's saying here. And you've been given this new life with God. And you must consider this. This is true of you. This is true of your standing before God. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. Someone once said it this way. He said, you know, just imagine that someone placed a large sum of money in a trust fund for you. Wouldn't that be nice? So they came along. They just put a lot of money in this trust fund for you. Um, and, you know, what you're able to do, because it's in your name, you are free to draw from it. 
to help you with your financial uh, needs. But the only way that this trust fund is going to help you is if you indeed draw from it. If you don't draw from it, it's not going to benefit you. It's not going to help you. It's not going to change your financial decision. And in a similar way, unless we consider what Christ has done for us, for me personally, that we've become dead to sin, alive to God, then sin will continue to rule over us. Because what frees us from the power of sin is what Christ has done for us. And in Christ, that is ours. But we must draw upon it. We must consider it. We must revisit it. We must think on it. We must meditate on that truth. And so we, so we gain power over sin by considering what Christ has done. So by understanding more of what Christ has done for us on the cross, that empowers us now to live for God. Instead of being enslaved by sin. This is how we, we access the resources that God has given us in Christ. In order to turn from sin and live for Him. So first we must know what Christ has done for us. And then second we must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. That we, it must become personal. It must become yours. True of you. And then third we must present our bodies as instruments of righteousness. Like I said, when you place your faith in Christ, there's a change that takes place in your soul. And yet, your body, for the most part, remains unchanged, does it not? I mean, your body's still going through the effects of sin. And it continues to age and break down. But something has happened within you, in your soul. There's a shift that has taken place. There's life that has been birthed. And so sin no longer reigns over us, but its presence is still with us. The effects, we still feel the effects of sin on us. And so what's interesting, and it's important for us to realize this, that, you know, in Adam, in Adam we were enslaved to sin. You know, physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, every, in every way, we were enslaved to sin, dead to God. And then in Christ, we are receiving this new life in Christ that will go on for eternity. And so just imagine, you know, my left arm here, my arm here is representing who you are in Christ and the effects of that salvation for eternity. But this arm represents Adam. And his sin and our inherited sin and corruption and the effects it still has on us. And so what's interesting is that as Christians, we're in this overlap of the ages, so to speak. We live in this interesting time where there's an overlap of this world and the world to come. There's an overlap of, yes, we are in Christ and we are justified in Christ. We are uh, right with God. We are new creations. And yet at the same time, we're still overlap with some of the effects of being an Adam. And so we live in this age of overlap. And we know once we receive our you know, glorified bodies that one day our bodies will be free from the effects of sin, but that's not the case now. And so we, we live in this interesting time of overlap where we are simultaneously right with God in Christ, 
free from the power of sin, and yet at the same time, we still have to deal with sin. And we still deal with the effects of sin. And so because we live, live in this overlap of, this, of the ages, we have a choice to make. Every day, all day long, we are faced with a choice. And this is the choice. Will I allow sin to reign in my body now, at this moment? Or will I allow God to reign in my life today or at this moment? You know, because we live in this overlap, that's a decision that we all face every day, every moment of every day. Will I walk in the Spirit or will I walk according to the flesh? This is a decision as a Christian that we constantly have to battle with. Paul said it this way in verses 12 through 14. He says, let not sin reign. Why does he say that? Because you can let sin reign. So he says, let not sin reign therefore in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members as, to sin as instruments or tools you know, for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments or tools for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. And so in the overlap of the ages here, we have a moment by moment choice to make. You know, who will you follow? How will I behave? How will I live my life today? Uh, will I submit to God's leading? Or will I give my life to the residue of the sinful nature? I mean, that's a constant battle that we all must face. It's a moment-by-moment -moment choice. How will I use my life? How will I use this instrument, these tools that God has given me? And you know, tools are great. I mean, they're very beneficial. Right? If you're trying to, you know, unscrew, uh, you know, screw with a little flathead screwdriver insert there, to have a flathead screwdriver is very helpful. Right? Very beneficial. Uh, how many of you drove cars to church today? Very beneficial. Can you imagine walking to the Hill Baptist Church? I can because I do every, every day. And it's not too bad. But for, for most of you, you live a fairly good distance away. And so driving you know, cars are wonderful things. Wonderful tools. Beneficial. But some of you may remember this article back in April where this, this man in Sunnyvale, California, drove his car into a group of people that were gathered together in a neighborhood. Just intentionally drove his car into the people and injured eight people. You see, the car did not make him do that. The car was a tool. It's a very, very beneficial tool. Gets you from one place to another. Very helpful. Uh, it was not designed to run over people. But this guy used it as a tool for unrighteousness. And so when you think about your life, all your talents, your abilities, your, your body, your resources, everything you have, these are all instruments, they're tools. And so you have to make a decision every day. What will you do with them? You have new life in Christ. You're not, you're not in bondage to sin. You have a choice now. What will you do with your life? That's the freedom that's in Christ. It frees your will to now choose how you will live your life. Will you use your members? Will you present them to sin? Present them as 
instruments of unrighteousness and play that song? Or will you present them to God as instruments of righteousness? You have a choice to make. Now you may say, well, Ron, how do I ensure that I I use these tools, this instrument, this life in a way that God God wants me to, to use them? Well, Paul's told us in this passage. First, he says, you need to know what is true of you in Christ. That's where it starts. You have to know what is true of you in Christ. You need to grow in your knowledge of how God has saved you and what His design for you is. And the way we do that is by going to His Word. You know, the Bible is a, an instruction manual for life. He tells us how we're to live out this new life. Tells us what God tells us how God wants us to use this tool, this instrument that He's given us. Second, you need to consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. You need to personally draw upon these truths and allow them to sell in your heart and mind. And third, you need to live out this new life that God has given you in Christ. You need to make that decision to present your bodies to God as instruments of righteousness. Paul asks this question in verse 1. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. Why? Because we are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Therefore, let us present ourselves to God as instruments of righteousness. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this truth that You have brought about a new work in our hearts. That in Christ we are new creations. The old has passed away. Behold, all things are new. We have been born again. We have been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of Your beloved Son. There has been a change that has taken place. There is freedom. But Lord, help us to use this freedom the way You want us to use it. To present our bodies as living sacrifices, as as instruments of righteousness. Help us to make that decision every day to submit to You and Your direction in our lives. Lord, help us not to submit to the reign of sin any longer, but pursue Your guidance, Your design for us. And where we fall And where we give in to sin, God, help us to be quick to confess it. To thank You for Your forgiveness and Your power to move forward. Lord, thank You for what You've done for us in Christ. Thank You that in Him we have not only identified with His death, that there has been a change that has taken place, but there's new life. And this life will go on forever. Help each person here to know, even today, what it looks like. Uh, to play these instruments that you've given us for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.